Hello, and welcome to the Equity Foundation podcast. The Equity Foundation is the professional development arm of Actors' Equity. Our mission is to assist, educate, and inspire performers. To find out more, visit www.equityfoundation.org.au. Thank you very much for turning up, everyone. What a fantastic session. I'm just going to get started straight away. To my right is Serena Hill, the casting director of Sydney Theatre Company. Please welcome her. <laughs> Kirsty McGregor, next to her from McGregor Casting. <laughs> Gregor Apps, from casting director of Greg Apps Casting. <laughs> And Nikki Barrett from Barrett Casting. <laughs> I personally wanted to thank the casting directors for coming here tonight today because they are often the portal for our creative energy and we walk in in all states of uh, <laughs> emotion, mental prepar preparedness, physical preparedness um, and humours um, in the medieval sense entirely. And uh, uh, these generous souls uh, help us put that down and show, it, uh, put that down on tape or, or, or direct it towards a, a theatre director. So um, they have a lot to uh, discuss with us about what their process is. I just wanted to do a quick survey in the room today. Hands up for those of you who've been having a casting director experience or experience with a casting director for one year. So we're just, we're just getting an idea of beginners. Uh, how many people, sorry, yes, if you've auditioned for a casting director for one year of your life, that's your experience, um, five years, and ten or more, fantastic, it's <laughs> good, so it's an experienced session, okay, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the process, but obviously we're also going to get on to the diversity issue, which is the main theme of this conference, basically we're asking our casting directors what it's like from their side of the fence. And I just thought the first, well the first question might be interesting for us as artists to know why they became casting directors. I know that Serena started at the Royal Court in London and is now at the Sydney Theatre Company, for instance, but if you could just speak a little bit about what makes, wh what appealed to you about it and why you still do it. I, I started as, a, as an assistant to an agent, a, a, a theatrical agent, and then became a laughable thing now, which was a, which is a talent scout for this agency because they were agencies, but they didn't feel that they were very good at spotting the talent, which is bizarre. <laughs> so I started, I started doing that, but I, I wasn't, I didn't feel good enough or interested enough in the business side of the affair. So I, and I wanted to be more uh, nearer the creative side. And I was lucky enough to get a job at the Royal Court Theatre, and then from then I went to work as a casting director at the National Theatre in England before I came here. Thank you. Kirst. Um, I was an actor for a very, like I started when I was about that big, and I, um, I moved to London and I got a job in a restaurant and at the end of my first shift they offered me assistant manager <laughs> and I went, holy shit, what have I been doing with my life? I've become such a good waitress. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I, you know, which is fine uh, at the time, but I also, I sort of realised that I just didn't really want to keep doing that. And um, so I came back here and I spoke to my um, agent, the very wonderful Robin Gardner, and said, I don't want to be an actor anymore. And she, she was the one who suggested casting. 
and um, and I worked for a short time with, uh, which never would have occurred to me at all. She's like, you've been doing this since you were six. You know everybody. You understand how an audition works. All of that sort of stuff. I was like, oh, right. Um, and uh, I worked for Faith Martin for a short period of time until I worked for this fine man next to me who told me pretty much everything I know. Um, and it's true. <laughs> and the best bit though, can I say, um, so this is the old days, the olden times, before, you know, emails and everything and every actor has a file. I found my file. <laughs> <laughs> and it said, basically it said, you know, for you know, notes for everything, but the final one said, really good actress may outgrow her usefulness. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, what was really interesting was, that's exactly what I felt. I was in a period of my life, I was in sort of my mid to late 20s, and I realised, I sort of looked at where I was going to get cast, and I thought, unless I'm really lucky and get a Muriel's wedding or something like that, it's pro I'm just going to, you know, get the odd job and um, I didn't want to do three years on a soap, that was, that was just me, it's great for some people. Um, so yeah, but casting was, here I, and I just went, yes, affirmation, in the right spot, there you go. That's you. <laughs> Brutal but true. Um, I was an actor for a minute or two in the 70s and I just couldn't and I, so I get what you're going through because I got to the stage I just could not plan for my future. I did not feel it was a career but actually I did a great role and that led to better roles and that led to more opportunities. I still found myself sitting in the same waiting rooms opposite the same <laughs> contemporaries going and I'd still get into the room and go, he's much better for this role than I am. <laughs> um, and that was my experience and then I saw an ad in the paper when I happened to be in Melbourne working on a job for the casting director of the ABC and I applied and lo and behold they gave it to me. And my surprise wasn't as great as all my out-of-work actor mates who said, you're doing what? They've made you the casting director of the ABC? <laughs> um, and to this day, somebody had inspiration. And, uh, and what I want to say also is, from the perspective of a casting director, actors would say to me, don't you miss acting? And I'd say, no, because now I create every character rather than waiting for the opportunity to perhaps get an get an audition to maybe create a character. Um, yours. Um, okay, so mine is nepotism, really. Um, I had dropped out of university and my aunt, who's a casting director, Alison Barrett, and she said to me, do you want to come work with me for a while? And I wasn't doing anything. And I had come as a child from a performing background, so I'd sort of grown up in that world. And I went, sure. And yeah, I worked with her for about four or five years and then left and, and sort of lived overseas and did other things for about ten years. And, and then she, we had dinner one night and she said, why don't you come back? And, and a year there, yeah, that's it really. <laughs> Thank you. And an amazing project we've all worked on. Um, I'm going to keep going because of the nature of the speed of this session. If we could just hear from each of you uh, different aspects of how you like an actor to prepare for your particular projects. And, and I know each project is going to be different because some of you cast television and film and stage, some of you cast stage, some of you cast musicals. Um, 
and we might start down your end, Nikki. And if any, if Nikki covers anything that you you're about to speak about, just pick something else. <laughs> but basically, Nikki, could we talk a little bit about from you? Could we hear a little bit about the preparedness of an actor coming into your casting rooms sure. and what you'd like to see? I uh, have uh, one thing that I really think is the most important thing uh, about preparing for an audition, and that is know what you're auditioning for. Know the world of it, know the rhythm of it. Um, I think there's a, a sense that people think they need to learn their lines, they need to dress right, they need to look right, and all those things are important. But what I'm constantly surprised uh, by in auditions is people's, uh, what people are doing being completely disconnected from the actual project. So they're, they're often preparing a scene or preparing material that's, that's quite good in itself, you know, like it's not bad, but, but it's not actually connected back to the world of the film or the, or the project. So what I would say to you is really know everything you can about the world of the project, and that's tone and that's rhythm, um, that's the style of it, that's the size of it. Uh, that's what has happened before and what's coming next. As much as you can know, I know sometimes scripts aren't available, um, but, but that would be my strongest piece of advice, and that's the thing I constantly see absent uh, in auditions, and it's something that's come up very strongly and something I've been working on that has a very specific tone, and I've been really uh, astonished by how many people come in and are doing material that is completely disconnected from the tone of the piece, which is quite freely available. So that, that would be my strongest piece of advice. Um, I want to echo Nikki's comments. Um, the expression I use is, who is buying? In other words, what are you auditioning for? Okay. If you actually, I, I just caught the, um, the auditions for Breaking Bad online just recently, and the rhythms the actors found were fantastic. And they're actually the rhythms of the characters in the final product. They're the rhythms of the series. They're the rhythms of what the producer is trying to make. But so often, actors come into my room and they want to faithfully reproduce the document that's been put in their hand. They want to reproduce the character in the size. That, well, not even the character. Dare I say they want to reproduce the punctuation that's in the sides, and they let the punctuation dictate their rhythm. The punctuation, the actor provides the rhythm, not the writer. The actor provides the rhythm, and it's based on the tone and the project and who's buying. I kind of want to echo that as well. Uh, <laughs> um, but I think more on that point, um, sorry, I have to put my feet up, um, uh, is that whatever you're auditioning for, if you get the role, you're going to be the person playing that role. So I get so many people coming in trying to, it's sort of almost the opposite though of who is buying because you know, while you need to think about who is buying, you can't actually second guess exactly what it is that they want. You can come in and prepare to play the role the best way that you can prepare to play the role. And that is understanding the world and the tone and all of that sort of stuff. But not, you know, second guessing and getting into your head about, am I wearing the right thing? And da -da. Try and play the role, particularly if it's going to be an ongoing character. You're going to have to do it for a long time. Um, so I would say prepare to play the role the best way that you can play it because it's your audition. Ultimately, it's not our audition. We're trying to cast a role, but you're the one who's going to play the role and you're the one playing the role in that moment, in that audition. So that's your time to play that role and hopefully you'll be asked to do it again. Yes, I would echo everything everybody said. Um, generally, though, for the theatre auditions, 
I'm always impressed at how well prepared people are, I think. They generally have read the script in advance and know the piece that they're reading, where it belongs in the piece, and therefore the context of it generally. And if they don't, they try and they're, they're able quite cleverly to ask the director to elaborate and pick up enough that they can mm -hmm. do it. I, I'm, re I'm really imp impressed by it. And of course, in England, also actors are rarely asked to, to learn it. In fact, they would, they're almost frowned upon they, because the directors feel they'd be set in it, whereas here, it clearly is a huge advantage, I think. I was a bit concerned when I first got here. I didn't realize that's what people did, but they do, and they do it well. The thing, I, the thing I'm always slightly surprised about is, I mean, I'm pathological, pathological about, about um, timing, but people are generally pretty good on time. What I'm quite surprised about when people come is that they bugger about. They've got their phone still on or they start talking to the reader. And actually, I think, I think, I think they should have done all that bef before they come in. Just leave you, turn the phone off before. I know it's anxiety and nerves and all of those things. But I just think, um, because actually I, I, I like the fact it's quite in informal when people come in, although the stakes are very high and it's intense. It's an intense experience, intense environment. But, but just do all the practical stuff. And also at the end of it, get out. Because often people <laughs> linger, and actually the moment is, <laughs> you've got to move on, it's somebody else's time. But also the director oft often needs to make notes or think about you or even talk to me perhaps a little bit uh, about what's just happened. And sometimes people get their coats on and off. And oh, so I'm up and out. I, you probably notice if anybody's done it with me, I'm up, I'm standing up, ready to go to indicate that we should all go. But otherwise, I think people generally here are prepared and, and pre-professional. But it's not, obviously, my setup is very different from from theirs. I have a hilarious side story to that because I auditioned for Serena. You might not remember this. And I had to chop a carrot in the scene. And, and when you were up and outing me, you tipped my carrot into my shoe bag. <laughs> Are you going? And it was raw carrot and a knife and anyway, so yeah. <laughs> she means what she says. Yeah. <laughs> and she's a lovely lady, so <laughs> yeah. Can I um, sorry, can I come back into that for a sec? Yeah, just props, so just two little props. That uh, that that's another thing. Um, Sometimes people come in and, and they, you've got a set audition time, right? You might have 20 minutes, you might have 30 minutes, you might have 10 minutes. Don't, as Serena said, waste that, you know, turning off your phone and stuff, but also don't waste it, you know, pulling out 30 props, setting up a room, um, you know, you, use, your, use your time to your best advantage and, and your time to your best advantage is going to be running the scene, doing takes, not, not setting up a whole room. Use props in the sense of what helps you in the scene, not in recreating the scene. And um, and for all that I said, don't worry so much about outfits. D do think about what what it is you're auditioning for. I had an American casting person say to me recently, "These Australians are so weird. They come in, they got no makeup on, they look dirty, their hair's dirty, <laughs> and uh, so and for the Americans in particular, that stuff is really important. So it's not that you have to come dressed in period costume, but if it's a period piece, wear something that suggests that, or if it's corporate, wear something that suggests that. Like just uh, think about uh, what can best suggest you to these people for this role without going too far. Um, one of the other, th I'll jump in. Um, one of the other things I want to, as opposed to sort of, you know, the auditions that Serena will do, when we're auditioning, we're auditioning 10, 15, 20 people for a role. They've all had, and they're all getting their audition sides and saying, I'm perfect for this. I'm absolutely perfect for this. <coughs> and so your approach is to come in and make no mistakes and just do everything exactly the way it's in the script. 
No, that doesn't work. If we've got sort of 15, 20 people who, yes, we've done our job, so they're great for the role. You've got you to do something imaginative. You've got to find another rhythm, find another je ne sais quoi to make sure you pop. As long as it's truthful. <laughs> that's, where that's where being an actor comes into it. You know, it's not acting, acting ability. I'm going to say something to you and I'm going to get shot down in frame, flames on this, but when I, sort of, you know, when I was given this, the brief that it was the art of auditioning, I just want to say to you, auditioning is not acting. And I know it met with a lot of silence and everybody hung their head in the same way that I think breakdancing is not dancing. <laughs> okay? It is a skill. It is a skill set and you have to be an actor to come across but understand it's a different delivery of your performance. To me, there is a difference in the preparation an actor does for an audition, for a workshop, for a rehearsal. I mean, let's face it, many times you're walking into the room with three pages. The sum total of your character is in those three pages and maybe a character breakdown that's written by me that is a message to the agent of who to submit. Um, it is not about... You don't have the benefit of sort of, you know, character analysis, having spoken to the director having investigated the character, many times not reading the full screenplay. So I think it's actually a different skill set, whereas actors so many times come into my room and they want to show what a great actor they are, when in fact I'm looking for that character. And that's gonna, and there's a lot of silence around the room, and I'm <laughs> sorry, but that's the attitude that I have in the room, so what should you do when you come in? Be ready to change. Be ready to change. Be ready to be imaginative. Be ready to be directed. Sometimes. <laughs> um, I, on that note, uh, uh, in terms of uh, your experience with working with people in the audition process, we heard this morning from Adam Moore from SAG-AFTRA over there in the introduction that being nice is important as well in our industry because there are so many of us and we're all, we're all creative and we're all skilled. Um, Apart from being nice, or even if being nice is one of the things that you look for in someone that you're about to cast in, in a big role, what other qualities are important other than preparedness, uh, skill, and creativity? Uh, I don't think any personal qualities are particularly important. I think, uh, so long as you're not insane, um, I think <laughs> all that really matters. I, I think if, if, if a personality is particularly difficult, um, and I know that I would mention that to the director. I wouldn't necessarily try and dissuade them. I'd just say I need to make you aware that, that, that you know, on a previous film this, this happened. That's my job to make people fully aware. Beyond that, I, you know, I think it's what you do with a character. I, I don't think it really matters if you're a shy person, an outgoing person, a nice person, a not very nice person. Um, what matters is that you turn up, you do the work and, and that you're prepared. Beyond that, I don't look for anything about you personally. And there will be times if people come in and they're particularly obnoxious or rude, I might have a, a, a personal reaction, but the same thing, as long as I make the director aware. Some, some of the directors will be like, great, no problem with that. Others have no interest in being on set with a difficult person because they just want a smooth, easy set and know that somebody's going to turn up and not be difficult and you know, not be a pain. So that's um, the only time, you know, I've had my own personal safety threatened sometimes, and that's when I will go, yeah, okay, that's the end of the line. <laughs> yeah. Oh, can I say something about shaking hands? Oh, this is going to sound really stupid, but everyone always like, you know, people who don't like to shake and whatever, but if you, if in our position, I often now will just even lie and go, oh, I've got a cold. And it's not necessarily true, but everybody who comes in is so nervous, they've got really sweaty hands. <laughs> 
and they're like, hi, and I want to shake your hand because I'm a nice person and you're a nice person, but I often will do a, cool, yeah, hi, because you can just, and yeah, uh, and it's, and it's got nothing to do with not wanting to be polite. It's just so often, nine out of ten times, an actor about to audition has a really sweaty, sweaty palm. So, if that happens anywhere, yeah, wipe and then shake. Or if you see my face go, then that's fine. It's uh, just the thing that I'm doing that. But yeah, I don't. It's actually not people being rude. It's just you know, twenty hands, twenty sweaty handshakes. We all know what happens when we do get the job and could we hear a little bit from you, from your inside perspective um, as to some reasons why people don't get the job because I, we, we have conceptions and misconceptions about that as actors, I think, and it's, it's important to hear from the other side of the fence. Um, uh, Serena, can I start with you? <laughs> if if, if someone doesn't get the job... Um, could we talk about some of the reasons for that? Because we, we can be insecure as actors as to why that happens when actually there's a factory of reasons coming from the production side of things. Well, uh, in, in the obviously in the theatre we're, we're forming a company uh, uh, for any given play and, and the, I mean, in, in my, my job is to provide a director choice. So a choice for one or more parts, uh, and therefore I in, in invite actors in to audition for those parts. But in the end, the director, along with me as an as assisting in it, in the process, is to form a company of, in theory, people who are able to sympathetic in the same way, interpret the text. So the reason they don't get a job, perhaps, is largely to do with, it's not, it, it could be affected by who else is being cast or what relationships are being formed within the group to do with the text, largely. So it's, and, but everybody, to be sentimental about this, but, but as a rule, we, people are invited in because they have every chance of getting that job. It's not coming in for any other reason. So it is heartbreaking when people get, don't get the job, but it, it, as you say, it, it, is, it is so hard to, to explain very often because it's not necessarily about their ability, obviously. I pretty much always have a bit of a cry when it comes to callbacks and I go, only one person can do it. Because so often we've seen a number of magnificent versions of a role that ultimately only one person can play the role. Um, and really there's nothing that you can do in, as an actor other than everything that we've said, being prepared and, and trying to find the world and understand the world, but there's nothing that you can do about somebody else's taste. The director might like brunettes and you're blonde. Or that, you know, it, it often, more often than not, you'll find that a director, if it's up to them, and often it's not just up to them, it's then also the three producers and the three executive producers and the network. And that there are so many people making the decisions. Um, and it will have nothing, absolutely, there is nothing that you can do to change an outcome. There is nothing that I can do. Often there's nothing the director can do. Um, but often I find uh, I've got a, a photo of a director and an actress on my desk just to remind me that often directors, if it's the same sex, they are looking to cast a better version of themselves. There will be something, a familiarity, it's a tribal thing, I don't know, but there will be something that they recognise and it will be appealing to them. 
if it's the opposite sex or if they're gay, then the same sex or whatever. But um, if it's a, a romantic thing, it'll be whoever they're attracted to. It's not 100% of the time, but more often than not, if I'm struggling and I go back to why, I go, oh, okay, and you bring in someone who looks, you know, that I know will appeal and you're kind of done. So... <laughs> <laughs> Break it down. But it comes down to taste. Everybody, like, you know, if you, you're romantically interested in somebody or if you look at your friends, there are reasons why. Because people appeal to other people for different reasons. And, and we're casting and we're casting characters and that's, that's what happens. So often, back when I started, I was very lucky to work in uh, Melbourne in the 80s when um, films were financed almost entirely through the Film Commission or something like that. So I got to work on films like Romp, Stomper and Proof and the decision was done when the producer and the director and myself sat in a room and we said, he'd be fantastic. And that was the decision. Now we sit in a committee. And if you look at some of the American shows, how many producer credits are there? All those projects that are just getting off the ground, you go into an IMDB and there's 38 producers and one, one writer, and they're yet to have a director on board. So there's yet to be a creative influence and from a filmmaker, a filmmaker in the true sense of who's making the film. But there's a lot of producers, and you know what? The only, the only approval they have in their contract is casting. Because they wouldn't know diddly squat about camera, about edits, about costume. But they sure think they know something about casting. And when we're sitting in that committee, it only takes one of them and go, oh, I can't stand them. And now it's almost impossible to resurrect that person. It can be based on their audition or it can be based on, yeah, it, all sorts of personal reasons. She looks like his ex-wife. Yeah, that's a biggie, looked like my nephew and I hate my nephew. <laughs> um, but can I say, so, but the question was is what can we do when we didn't get the part? If you're there at the callbacks, in fact, I think if you're there in the room, you can do the role. We're not testing your ability to do the role. You have the ability to do the role. An agent once asked me, he said, what, you know, they just want to know what can they do next time. I said, nothing, just keep doing the same thing. Well, why didn't he get the part? And I said, because we didn't pick him. <laughs> okay, because they picked someone else. We could have picked him. We could have chosen him. So don't beat yourself up. Just keep doing what you're doing. If you're getting callbacks, it's when you stop getting callbacks that you should start questioning, not when you get close. And the other thing I want to impart to actors is, and this is an analogy that I enjoy and I get, but if you're in poker, if you've got a bad hand, you never lose money. You never get disappointed if you've got a bad hand because you throw it out straight away. But if you've got a really good hand, you've got two pair, okay, then you're going to bet that and you're going to lose money. And the same way, only good actors are disappointed because only good actors get really, really close to the role. Bad actors don't get to that, cl that close. Kind of all of that. Um, I always think that uh, casting is about finding the person who's most right for that role in that particular project. And that can vary from project to project. So I think that the person who gets the role is not always the best actor, it's not always, it's the person who is most right for that, for that role in that film. And casting roles uh, isn't, and an, it's not a, you know, it's 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 an interdependent thing. So once one person in a film is in place, then everybody else is cast in relation to that person. So you might be an amazing actor, but you are the wrong age to be that person's daughter, or you are the wrong colouring, or you are. There's, there's there's a whole lot of other factors that come. It's it's not um, a decision that's made in isolation. 
Um, and increasingly, as, as both uh, Kristen and Greg have brought up, there, there is this whole factory of decision making that now goes into things. And what tends to happen with committees, um, as anyone who's ever sat on a committee knows, is that a middle ground decision often gets made. So rarely do bold decisions get made by committees because the, the one thing that everyone can always agree on is, is the mean, is the average. Um, so, so that has a big impact these days on decision making. Studios have a big impact on decision making. Distributors are really the ones who decide um, virtually these days who is acceptable for the leads on films. It's gone so beyond the director-producer uh, casting person relationship. Um, so I think, I think a, another thing that people have brought up is I often have people when it gets down to two or three and someone will ring me up and go, but what did I do wrong? I think you didn't do anything wrong. There was nothing wrong. Someone was just more right than you in the end. And I think that's the thing to remember. All you can do is go in, do the best possible, best prepared, um, most open, trusting audition you can do, and then you've done your job. Whatever happens after that is, is a bonus, really. Yeah. Also on that one, Nikki's saying, in particularly in independent film land, so not even in TV, but it's getting harder and harder and harder to get people into cinemas. So sales agents and people putting money behind the film are getting more and more and more frightened of, you know, backing it because they lose money unless it's a huge tentpole feature or turns out to be, you know, one of the few that really takes off. But there's no guarantee of that. Prior, uh, and I worked on a job recently that was in development that ultimately the director and producer said, can you just talk to the sales agent? And I had to go through a list of actors' names, they were all profile actors' names, and they colour-coded them. And basically, you know, he's a blue, he's a yellow, he's a red, she's a blue, you know, and it basically <laughs> said, um, you know, if you can get us two yellows and a green, we'd be happy. Uh, three greens would be okay. I mean, it, it had nothing to do with the project. It was this is the only way we will get behind it. This is the only way that we'll put money in it, is if there are people that we can sell, people, somebody that we can put on a Tonight Show or whatever. So being right for the role was irrelevant. Um, then that I'll <laughs> that just jump worst in. Worst conversation of my life. You know, the theme of this weekend is diversity. Mm. And that's the thing that's being taken away. You say, you know, we'd love to empower the casting directors to cast a great actor, but it's... As I say, the committees have taken the power away from us. It is people in suits in offices in Los Angeles and in networks here that are making the key casting decisions. I mean, I'm just really disappointed on behalf of all of you when I see Australian television just turn out the same people again and again. And so, therefore, it, it's not about the art of auditioning because you don't get the opportunity to show you can do it. The list of names never goes beyond that because you're not a yellow or a green. Although that list is so arbitrary, it literally oh. changes weekly. Yep. So if, you know, you can, you can put someone forward one week and they go, oh, no, it doesn't mean anything. And then, you know, a, a month later he opens in a film and everyone's like, well, why can't we get him? You know, and, and so it is that arbitrary. And I worry that this is really dispiriting for everyone. Um, it, it <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we've just like, we've just kind of laid the most negative pile of you're never going to make it on top of you. And that's not true because obviously, obviously people do get ahead. Um, and things do happen. And I, and I look at those like, beautiful stories like Jackie Weaver and, and, and people who, you know, who have, have had long careers here and, and never really tried the American thing and suddenly have careers over there, or John Noble. Or, so 
So it's not just about making the distributors, although, although Jackie Weaver is on everybody's. You could cast her in anything in any role at this point and distributors would be happy. Um, it is arbitrary, but it's not impenetrable and it's not unconquerable. So I, I think be, be realistic about it, but don't be defeated by it. Mm. Um, I'd like to ask Serena, because my impression of a theatre audition is you go in and you audition. If you're the best audition, you get the part. Whereas I'm saying we have factors that come into play in our decision process that it isn't necessarily that. Is, it, is the Sydney Theatre Company, you know, or is theatre more idealistic and purist yeah. in that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, theatre really is the true art. Yeah, I think it is. But there are still a number of roles that you probably need to cast in most shows that would still bring in the audiences, so... Yeah, yeah. 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 Now, because I'm the moderator, you can expand on that, Serena, <laughs> if you want. <laughs> Greg apps. Um, no, you're great. Um, so, Serena, do you want to expand a little bit more on that? Because I do have a question about that issue, actually. Um, t taking it back a step, before you get to the casting final decision, just, just where do you see yourselves as uh, and and your ability <coughs> to bring people into the room in the beginning? Like, I in terms of the director, the director might say that they want to see a list of people. The producer might say they want to see a list of people. The network, the distributors, for instance, or the theatre director, um, and the theatre <coughs> company. How much power lies? Well, it's it's a nebulous question, isn't it? How much how much influence do you perceive you have in in creating the initial audition list? Well, the luxury of the theatre is that uh, quite a lot. Percent, percentage of, of uh, for instance, just to, just to, I'm, I'm not being rude, I just mean, you know, let's say you saw 100 people for The Lion in The Lion King, it doesn't mean it's going to exist, but, um, you know, Simba, um, how, how many of those 100 people would you be allowed to put on that list and, and how many, the director? Um, okay. Percentage-wise, I guess. I'm just thinking about... Um, I mean, inevitably, all of us know m more actors than any director will ever know. That's mm. our job. Mm. And um, so I think, I mean, obviously it's never 100, but maybe in, uh, I mean, the, the joy of it is actually introducing a uh, actors to a director they don't know because they, uh, they're nervous, the directors. They, 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 they need a bit of confidence about that person. And very often that will happen once, once the actor's in the room and they're auditioning, obviously. But I always have this 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 uh, word which is I just say oh, I, they're a wild card <laughs> because you don't want to put any any uh, pressure on that well the actor doesn't know it but the, the pressure on the director to anyway yes. I don't quite know how to explain it but you I always introduce a few people that they just perhaps wouldn't have known and then it may not work that particular time but it all it's all to do with familiarity and confidence and when that actor uh, obviously has ability in it uh, it, then it will work. So I, I'm able to put on uh, on the list actors that the director doesn't know, and then encourage them to to see them for the part. You may not always get it, but that will, as I say, it's an accumulative yeah, yeah, interest. Yeah, definitely. And then you might um, then the, the another director will come and say, "Who did you see for that?" What? And then the director will start to say, "Well, that's very interesting. I didn't know them before," and so on. So it's all to, it's all to do with that. And in the in the theatre, it's um, social. So our you know it's lovely where just two or three directors around at any one time, so they're talking. So in that sense, that's the way the work goes, really. Comes in, rather. It's good to know the informal factor still works. 
Um, first, could you explain a little bit more about what you feel your influence is? Oh, it completely depends on who I'm working for. There are some uh, directors who know no actors at all. So basically, you know, I have complete control over the list. And there, I've worked with quite a few actor-turned-directors and they will know a lot of actors. And so a lot of the time I'm working with them, they're going, no, 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 no. And sometimes I will have to... Because they might have been at a party with them and somebody was obnoxious or something. It's like, cool, let's just put that aside because he could be good for it or whatever. Um, but, um, yeah, I think that's... I mean, that's our job, really, that's uh, uh, to come up with those lists in the, in the first place. So it will... For me, I usually find it just depends on, on the director and how much, you know, how many people they know. And there are a lot of directors around who have worked... Like, if you're working in TV and... The director has done a lot of stuff. There will be preconceived ideas of, of somebody. They may have worked with somebody a number of times and be saying, never again, can't, you know, can't go there. So it's a collaborative effort. But I usually come up with the list and then we'll go through them with the director if the director wants to. Some people don't want to know at all. They're just like, great, just whoever. So. Um, I feel privileged that sort of I'm given a little bit of creative freedom in my casting and the projects I work, uh, work with, the directors I work with. Um, and if I'm working with a first-time director or, f or for the first time with that particular director, I always discourage them to come to the first casting. That gives me the creative opportunity to try people who are outside the brief, who are not what the director's looking for because I see something in that actor, in that person, that can really click and pop in that role, in that character, in the same way that Nikki was talking about being the right actor. The right actor be might not be something that they've thought of. When Eric Banner's name was first brought up for Chopper, the director said, no, nah, he's, he's a wog. Chopper hates wogs. <laughs> so when we actually had no one and we had two people put to the distributors who, both, who rejected those two actors, okay, for the lead role of Chopper, okay, so Eric Banner was the third person we went there with. Um, when we had no one, we just auditioned everybody and Eric Banner's, and there's only been two experiences I've had in my 30 years where the first, where the, the person who got the role, their audition was so far ahead of second choice. And Eric Banner's audition obviously was one of them. Where were we? What were we talking about? Uh, your, inf your influence on the casting, oh, that's right. on the audition. So How good if you, you are have the job. So if I went on the director's word, he wouldn't have been seen, okay? Because he's already made the psychological decision that he can't be seen, but it's in the room, it's the audition, it's what they deliver that allows, gives me the bullets, the ammunition to shoot on their behalf and say, let's consider this person. The other thing I've done, and I do, but I need the complete faith of the director, is I say there's always one casting director pick in every cast. And I say, I get, a I get to choose a role. Doesn't always work. Doesn't always work. <laughs> but I try and have a casting director pick. I've got to educate these directors. Yeah. <laughs> Greg taught me when I started working with Greg, and he would always... Five more say, minutes. He would always say, it's not about the best, it's not, you're not finding the best actor, you're finding the right actor. I've always remembered that. Mm. Nikki, did you want to speak about your, your thoughts on the audition? Yeah, um, look, I, I think uh, probably pretty, pretty much the holistic your decision. It's really bound by time and brief more than by anything else. Directors will, um, you know, have people they want you to see. I find directors very rarely want to come to first round of auditions. Um, sometimes new directors do, and I often discourage them because what I find then is it makes you putting the list together conservative. 
because you're trying to make sure it all goes well. So I, when I start working with people, I'll often say to them, I prefer to do first round on my own. It lets me be bold. It lets me try new people, try new things. It lets us reach a little further. Um, and then you can have a look at it and, uh, you know, we'll move into recalls together. I feel that if when, it, when I'm putting together auditions for a director in the room, unless I've worked with them, it just makes you safer. It just makes you more inclined to use, you know, to, to bring in people you know, people you, you're pretty sure can do it. Um, so I think having first round with no director is actually one of the great benefits of, of, of digital technology. We've touched on uh, increasing diversity just in our conversation already in this session, but since this conference is is based uh, on on the uh, hopeful expansion of that, um, where do you see your roles in improving diversity of um, of, of uh, races of of actors on screen, abilities of actors on screen, uh, gender? Um, expansion on screen and, t and stage, I beg your pardon, uh, all of this on stage as well. Do you think you have an influence over it as casting directors? The second part of the question is, if not or if so, where else does it lie and how can we approach it? Um, then we'll open to question and answer sessions. I'll start on gender. No, you, you start on something else. No, on, on gender, for, for me, I know probably most of you here in the room are, are, are actors and not writers, but just, you know, women, start writing. Because, you know, historically, so many of the writers are men and everybody knows, write what you know and all that sort of stuff. And yes, the directors are men and the executives are men and everything, but if the women aren't writing, um, if the women aren't actually fighting for those roles, then, um, you know, why would the men? They're writing roles for themselves. Start writing. And I'd kind of second that to some extent on to some extent on ethnicity, um, and I, I, I think that as more um, uh, people of diverse backgrounds start writing and, and making things, we will see more faces reflected on screen because they'll be they'll be the stories. I think there is um, but part of casting is obviously driven by by the, the, the material by what is written, and sometimes it's historical, and sometimes but sometimes there is room, but. What I often find is that you start out casting something and everyone's like, yeah, I want to be really diverse, I want to do this really, you know, I want to put lots of different faces. And then somehow the casting ends up really white and then they'll start going, oh, but we haven't got anyone. And then there's little roles. And, and this happens again and again, and it happens a lot in television, um, <coughs> particularly. I, but then you also work with other people, like I've worked a, a bit with Essential Media, and they are very conscious, constantly, of... Um, of keeping it diverse, of trying people in different roles, of using people in roles that aren't ethnic roles, um, which I think is is also really important. I find the Americans are very conscious of it. The Americans, um, every brief you get, they'll want you to see people ac across a, a scope of things, and I think to some extent you see that reflected in their television and their films. Um, I hope that it's changing, and I hope that there's certainly an awareness of it and, and a, an initial enthusiasm with every project that I ever start on. Sometimes it kind of disappears a little bit. And that's partly to do with experience. It's partly to do with because more Anglo-Saxon people, Caucasian people get cast, there, there's a kind of different depth of experience. But as that depth of experience within um, diverse areas becomes greater, I think that people uh, will get cast more. I, I, that's, I hope. I think there is a desire to cast different cultures. Um, but it comes down to them, but then the bar is set very high for them to be the best person for the role. Otherwise, it looks like tokenism. 
oh, they just put that person in there for a bit of ethnic colour kind of thing. I've been going to graduations, end of year graduations for a long time and back when I started to see somebody of Greek and Italian heritage was rare. Okay, and I think it's just the whole cultural thing of their family expected to become doctors or, lawyer, you know, something with tertiary qualifications. Now, of course, it's, 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 our, it's part of our culture. Now the Greeks and Italians, the Southern Europeans, join us in, go in looking at sort of, you know, um, Asian culture. Asian faces are a minority on the screen. Um, you know, it, Middle Eastern faces are a minority on our screen. If anybody caught the uh, documentary on mental health on ABC set out in the Liverpool Hospital, I did not see one Caucasian nurse or doctor in those wards. But it is about the fact of sort of we have to, and it's, and it's weird, we adopt that principle of getting them into the room, working with them, improving their skills in the room because it's by popping in the audition is when we can get more of them into those roles and use colourblind casting. Actually, I just want to tell you a really nice story. There was a, a beautiful black actor who graduated a few years ago, uh, about two years ago, and he couldn't, didn't get a job for two years in this country. And earlier this year, we had to do a search for a, an HBO pilot um, for Steve McQueen. And this guy got cast from all the black people they, they cast in America and in England. Th this guy in Australia who hadn't had a job is now playing the lead in a Steve McQueen pilot in New York and possibly going to series in that. So you, the opportunities are there. Yeah, two years ago, a year ago. No, he graduated a year ago. And Kirst, did you want to add to um, how where you oh, uh, your gender uh, point in diversity? Or yeah, uh, probably culturally, it is, it's interesting because we're always desperate to, um, you know, colorblind casting. Um, I think there's a lot more Indigenous content that's, that's coming up. I just tried to cast a role that it w was, you know, didn't matter who anyone was from um, but in a film. And the director said, oh, I'd love it to be an, an Indigenous woman. I went, yeah, great. Couldn't cast it because everybody was busy. Uh, you know, and we still need a level of performance. You know, so I'm not just going to cast an, indi an Indigenous person because they're Indigenous. Um, uh, I mean, it's interesting that this is, and uh, everyone might hate me, but I'm I'm looking around the room, like when we get when we get a brief, and it you know there is a brief for, you know, a, a Asian or Indian or who are, you know, as non-white, it's actually quite difficult because there are only a few people that we can see per role who are actually acting professionally full time. Um, it's you know it, it's not that we don't want to. But this is a, a yeah, t exactly, it's chicken and egg. Looking around the room, this is a diversity conference and I will reckon I'm looking at 90% Caucasian people here. Um, so it, it is that, you know, maybe when we start seeing more diversity on screen, more people will become actors. And until, you know, it's that, I think there's a rule in the States that they actually have to have percentage of Latino, percentage of African-American, percentage, you know, in particularly on all, all of the networks. Um, it's also a country with 300 million people. The ABC are pretty vigilant about it here. Like, whenever I've worked on anything for the ABC, um, we will get directives coming down saying, this cast is too white, you need to look, you need to, you know, what about this role, what about this role, what about this role? So they are very, um, very actively pursuing it, I, and obviously SBS are. I can't speak for Channel 927, it doesn't look like it, but, but they might be. Um, 
but certainly the ABC is conscious and, and actively pursuing diverse, you know, diversity on screen. Um, can I just move to the stage version of that story now, um, and then we'll open to question and answer. Serena, would you like to add anything? Well, I would absolutely echo what everybody said. Uh, and, um, yeah, the plays we need to be, you know, the, 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 the plays we need to be written. Because you're just about to yeah. cast, or you are casting an Indigenous play, for instance, um, coming up in next season. And Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a terrific play too. So we've been lucky, lucky with these wonderful parts. But um, it, it, it's the same. It's but actually, interestingly enough, the the, aud the audition list, the people that are coming in, it, it, it's quite diverse actually in the STC. But it's something that's talked about a lot, and um, a lot of attention has been given to it. Obviously, yeah. Fantastic. Um, Sorry, can I just yes. make one more point? Sorry, just yes. as an indication of change, about if you were, I was working on some war movies, uh, you work on a war movie about eight years ago, and you were trying to cast Japanese people, there's always Japanese people in World War II movies. Um, it was, you'd be raiding restaurants, you'd be, you'd be calling the Japanese society, you'd be calling, you know, you'd be going and knocking on, on doors of restaurants and Japanese food stores, and, and last year we worked on Unbroken, and suddenly there was this, not huge, but this kind of pool of, um, of these amazing Japanese actors who were all, all had perfect American accents, all were trained in stunts, and, and eight, eight or nine of them got really big roles in Unbroken. Um, they didn't bring Japanese people in, they cast these people. So obviously they had been working in that, in that interim period since I last did a, a war film. And it was really amazing to see the kind of depth of talent and the depth of experience that had happened over that period. So it is, it is happening. Um, it, it may not be happening as fast as we'd like and it may not be happening for everyone, but it is happening in certain areas. 